0: All right, good morning. My name is Dominique, and I'm just going to invite you guys to stand up as we read the scriptures. Today's readings are from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service of God himself. God himself has assigned to us a sphere that also includes you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. All right. Well, hello again, everybody. Uh, super happy to be back here at New Life Ministries. I think we got one uh, additional chance to be here on a Sunday morning between last time speaking and being here this morning. So uh, love being here. Good. Again, as always, thank you, Joe and Erica. Thank you for what you guys are doing. Love you guys a ton. Um, let me see. Uh, last month, uh, we we in our own world are Uh, ramping up for school to start as Joe said with the school that we lead and so um, every year right before we actually begin we try to do these little staff retreats which if you're in a church world you know that that's kind of a nice way to say training Uh, but if you call it a retreat it feels a little more motivational so uh, we had a staff retreat and did a bunch of training tried to have a little bit of fun at the end so we headed out to Lake Dillon outside of Frisco and rented a boat right yay everybody gets on a boat so so we got out there and uh, and got all the staff out on this boat and tooled around the lake. Kind of a partially cloudy day, um, which is that very elusive, uh, oh, I'm safe. The sun won't get me today sort of a thing because it's cloudy. So uh, later on that night, we got off the boat and we're heading back to town. And everybody's kind of just really quiet, kind of. Like sickly looking and starting to feel a little funny, and we get home and everybody has these really bad sunburns. Like everybody's just toast. And uh, so for the next couple of days, everybody's kind of like, "Are you are you tired or really surprised? Because like you have that perfect little raccoon thing right here, where it's like, did you forget your make? No, I don't. I don't wear make. I just, I just. It's a really bad sunburn. Um, so anyways, we had a, We had a really good time. Made it through without getting too fried. Um, and uh, and we're excited to to step off into the fall. So uh, anyways, as Joe said, I think this is a really cool time of year um, to kind of pick our heads up and to go, okay, Father, what do you have in front of me? It's true, uh, you know, there's some some places that we follow the calendar uh, in terms of the January through December, but really when the year gets going, this is kind of the season where you step back into thing, everything new is launched, and it's kind of a time to pick our heads back up, to reassess, uh, to find true north, and to dial into where we're going. So this morning, uh, we're actually going to be wrapping up the, the last part of the Grow. Do you want to come help me, sweetheart? <laughs> uh, we're going to be wrapping up the last part of the Grow series. And I want to kind of zoom all the way out and kind of think about Grow uh, through the whole process and then kind of culminate this morning. And I was, as I was preparing and, and thinking through this, um, the passage from, uh, see, Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, and he goes, listen, I want you to leave what's familiar and what you've known, and I want you to go to this place that uh, I've set apart. It's a geographic location, and I have a promise. I have an inheritance for you there. And he goes, there, there's something there for you, so you've got to leave, and you're going to be replanted in another location. I'm going to take you somewhere that has a significant value where I want you to actually go and to bear fruit. And you see this kind of archetype all throughout Scripture. You watch it with Abram. You see it uh, with Moses. You can see it in the life of Joseph. Uh, He's actually, according to Psalms, sent into Egypt. And you can see it in David. You can go character after character after character through Scripture and this pattern is we kind of called go to a place that I'm going to give you. And in Christianity, it's one of those big themes that we kind of hang our hat on. It's one of the foundations that we point to. It's this sense of like, God has called me, God has planted me, and it's something that we kind of tether our hope to. It's something that we kind of tie our Christianity to, and it's this confidence that God has a unique and special plan and destiny for my life, and he's got a a place, an inheritance where he's actually guided me to, to plant and to grow and to bear fruit. So some of you this morning, uh, you know, starting a number of months ago, year ago, I was just talking with Sarah this morning about the same process in their family moving here to Colorado Springs. And some of you guys that were a part of New Life North, same process. There, somewhere in there, there's, there's this journey of like, I believe God is calling us to go to a specific location to bear fruit. So you left a perfectly good church on one end of town, came to the other end of town, and are beginning to plant and to grow. And there's this sense of like, God's put something in me, in us, to go to a new place and to grow and to bear fruit. My wife and I, when we started uh, Revolution 5 Leadership Institute seven, eight years ago with some friends, we had been maybe three or four months into this. What does it look like to start a leadership school, and what are the parameters and all that? And we have this crazy experience in the middle of the night, and I am suddenly awakened. Uh, I like to sleep, so that this is kind of one of those weird moments, and I wake up, and, and, and just this intense sense of fear just this like overwhelming sense of fear, but it's, it's not a fear like, hey, there's an intruder in the house, uh, but it's like a deep sense of fear, like an electric fear in the atmosphere, and I just, I'm kind of looking around, and my eyes are scanning, I'm kind of trying to see what in the world's going on, is it, you know, what's happening, and, and I just, I'm terrified, I'm terrified, and, and I'm a grown man, and so uh, I do the only thing I know to do as a grown man that's intensely terrified, and I woke up my wife, <laughs> and I said, babe, I have no idea what's going on, but we've got to pray. And she's like, what we, what we, you know, I, I don't know. I have no idea. We just, we got to pray. We got to pray because something's happening right now. And it was this crazy experience. Ended up going for a couple hours through the, through the middle of the night, uh, which is totally not me. Never had that happen before or since. But we prayed for several hours. And at the end of it, around 4.45 in the morning, just a deep, deep peace settled in our, in our spirits. It still felt electric, but the fear was gone. It was just like the sense of like, wow, God is here. And in that moment, he spoke so clearly to us about the next steps that we had. And it was this confirmation. It was this, I want you to go and I want you to plant and I want you to bear fruit in this thing. And again, it's one of these things for us as Christians that it's this underlying theme of like, God, I know you've put something in me. I know you have a place that you're taking me. And I know that I have a destiny to fulfill. I know I have a place to go and bear fruit. So I want to, I want to, Approach what we're going to talk about this morning from kind of the opposite side. Anybody ever ever read um, uh, Screwtape Letters? Yeah, a handful of you guys. It's kind of this really weird, cool book that C.S. Lewis wrote. And instead of like preaching about the gospel and following Jesus, he writes it from the from the from the um, the, the perspective of a demon that's coaching another demon how to destroy a Christian. It's really fascinating. So he's kind of taking it from the opposite side, and I want to approach what we're going to talk about this morning kind of from the opposite side, and here's what I mean by that. So often when the Lord speaks something to us, he gives it to us not just for purpose and inspiration, but he gives it to us as an antidote for what the enemy's about to do. Like when God says, have courage, you can probably surmise that somewhere just around the corner, you're going to need a deposit of courage in your spirit, Right? When he says be faithful, you can probably guess that somewhere just around the corner, there's going to be a temptation to not be faithful. And so in this idea, when God says, hey, I have a place for you, and I want you to go and bear fruit, when, when we get something like that in our spirit, I think it's so often because he's trying to give us an antidote to something the enemy is attempting or about to do in our lives. So here's, here's, here's what I think that tension is that he uses. I think that one of the key pieces that the enemy uses, it's kind of the opposite side of how do I begin to undermine this sense of destiny and of inheritance that God's putting me? How do I undermine that? I believe it's right here in the scripture that we looked at. I want to throw that back up there again, if you will, for a second. And I want to look at this because it's kind of one of those, yeah, we talk about it in like a junior high girl circle, but come on, we're adults. Does this really happened in our lives. When we dare to or excuse me, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Everybody go, "Mm." yeah, that's deep, right? Okay, Uh, next verse. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. Okay, now look at this passage that it kind of separated into, into the two verses a little bit. He starts out, and Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's going, listen, guys, when you compare yourselves by yourselves, and you, you're, you're looking around, you're looking left and right, you're looking, you're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I guess I'm pretty good. Well, I guess I'm a little less. Well, I guess I'm, he's kind of going, there's this comparison thing that's undermining the plant of the church and the establishment of it, so it'll be fruitful. And he goes, however, and then he shifts gears, okay? He goes, however, We will not boast beyond proper limits, but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. In other words, he goes, there's this thing, this thing that's rooted in this comparison that's actually trying to undermine the sense of destiny and purpose and fruitfulness that God's called you to. It's trying to undermine it. He goes, but we're not going to go there. He goes, we're actually going to look at this thing and go, God, where's the realm of authority that you have placed in my life? Where's the area of responsibility? What's the, what's the geographic place? What's the, what's the position? Where do I have authority? And how do I look at that authority? And instead of going over here or over here or what are they doing or what's cool or what, instead of doing all that, I'm going to look right here and go, God, what have you put under my authority? Because right here is going to be made fruitful. Right here in my life, what is, what is in my realm of responsibility? He goes, that's going to bloom because that's going to bear life. And again, get this because this whole theme of like God's called me, there's a place and there's a a destiny for me to fulfill. It's a big picture out here, but in a few minutes, we're gonna zoom in a little bit, but get the picture. This big picture out here and what's what's the thing that the enemy wants to use to undermine that? He wants us to start looking to the left and right and evaluating who has what else and where are they successful and what's going on. He goes, don't do that. He goes, here's the antidote to what Satan is trying to do. The antidote is, you look at the realm of authority that God has given you, and you make that realm fruitful. He goes, that's how we're going to secure what God is trying to do. Everybody with me so far? Okay, all right. Good, I'm on a little bit more of a ha than a ha-ha-ha this morning, so hang with me. All right. I was thinking about moving and transitioning, and um, the average American family... Last I read, average American family moves around 11.4, 11.6 times right now. Yeah, I know. That's like, that's like once every five years or so. So, so I, in my own family, we moved, I think, 23 times before I was out of the house. Yeah. Are like, are you nomads or are you military? Like they, no, there's uh, family, the work, you know. And, and I get that, I get that there's, a, there's a lot of reasons to move and a lot of reasons to transition. Sometimes they are financial. There's a lot of legitimate reasons. So I don't want to downplay that. But I think it's also interesting that we're in a highly transient culture, and it's not just in the college world. It's, it's across. It's all the way through. And I just want to suggest this morning that potentially one of the things or one of the reasons that we're in a constant movement is because we get assigned to a place by the Lord Jesus. And he goes, I want you to go here and bear fruit. And this, this thing that the enemy does where he goes, hey, look what's happening over there. Hey, that looks successful. Hey, that's a little more, uh, you know, a little more notoriety over there. Hey, that, that's going to produce a little more cash over there. Or hey, don't you wish you were a part of that family? Don't you wish you had that marriage? Don't you wish the people in that church just adored you and would recognize your precious gifts? And he starts suggesting these things that are meant to undermine the calling and the sense of destiny that God has designed us to walk in. He goes, start looking around. And I would suggest that some of the transition that, that I think that we're experiencing as a culture, some of that is, is, yes, there's legit reasons, but some of it is that we get busy looking to the left and right and around us and going, what else is out there? And I'm discontent here with a job. I don't know how to work the relationships well. There's tension in them. I wish I could make more, whatever the reason is. And so we kind of, we like to couch it in nice Christian terms. And again, just, just go with me, okay? I, I see the two sides. But sometimes we put it in terms, of just go, God is calling me somewhere else. And sometimes that's true. But sometimes God put us into a place that he called us to bear fruit, and we don't like the tension. So we jump out of the tension, and we go find someplace else that God is calling us. And four or five or six or 11 moves down the road, the same unrest is there. And you look back over the course of life, and you go, where is their fruit? There's just a dry and withered story of a lot of broken relationships, changed jobs, new communities. I won't go into the stats about changing church, but they're there too. I think part of this is the, we have this kind of silver bullet mentality And it's kind of the, especially with our technological age, we throw so many stones at technology. So uh, I'm not about to (laughs) go there. But I do think it's interesting that because we live in an age where you can go from being totally autonomous to being super famous overnight, you can go from like I I was living in my parents' basement, I'm 35, I'm going nowhere, and suddenly I make a video game or a video or something, and all of a sudden I'm bringing in you know 20k a month. I'm the people know who like my whole financial status has changed. We kind of live in this culture that rewards. It's like a lottery, silver bullet thinking. And the next big thing is always just around the corner. You know, I'm kind of doing this. Like, ask somebody what they're doing. Like, like, this is a great example in my world, the college world. You ask somebody what they're doing, and if they're going to, like, a prestigious school or they're about to get paid some serious cash or whatever it is, it's like, dude, yeah, totally, man. I'm going to work for the P&L of the something, something, and the S&P 500, and I'm going to Yale, and it's awesome. But sometimes there's this other answer. It's like, yeah, I'm going to... Collin County Community College. But next year, I'm going to be at Yale. It's kind of, you know. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working at Subway. But, I mean, after that, I, I plan to be working for a Fortune 50 company. It's just, you know, it's kind of. And, and there's this thing, it's like, this is not enough. And just around the corner is the next big thing. You guys, you guys see it? Okay, it's all over in, in our world, in the College 20 somethings. And it's just around the corner. And it's this same ploy that the enemy uses. And he goes, just just look over there. Just forget what's right here and just look over there. Why? Because I know that if you do, you'll never grow roots. You'll never bear fruit. It takes time to bear fruit. It takes time to grow roots. It takes tension in relationships and context. And you don't get it. One of our pastors used to say, it takes about four to five years before you actually begin to know somebody. It takes that long in our society to go through some highs and lows and walk through those. And, and boy, we don't like that. Let's move before we have to get to that place of tension. We watch that pattern happen over and over and over again, and it's constant. It's just around the corner. I'm going to succeed just around the corner is the next big thing. You guys are like, geez, give me a break. <laughs> okay, that's right. We, we get happy, okay? Uh, there's, a, there's a story in, in Judges. Uh, 18 through 19. It's very interesting because you have this, this guy, Micah, and it's, it's a time when there's, there's no rulers in Israel. So every man's kind of worshiping on his own. And this guy, like, he, he makes some idols. He loves God. He's kind of trying to figure it out. He makes some idols. And he finds this young priest who's, like, looking for a place to practice. And he goes, hey, dude, come into my home. I'll give you 10 shekels and a shirt and uh, kind of take care of your food and stuff like that. And so he, he, he goes, yeah, that sounds great. Like, you're small. There's nothing there. But, like, I'll, I'll serve God in that capacity. And a short time later, this huge tribe of Danites, another group of the people of Israel, are also looking for a new land to conquer. And they come in and they're like, listen, dude, you could totally do this with this family and that's cool, but what if you could do that for a mega tribe? What if you could get noticed on the stage of all these, you wanna be a priest for a family or you wanna be a priest for the mega tribe? You wanna be a part of Dan? You wanna go to the big stage? And he's like, you're right. I could serve God over there just like I serve God over here. And you watch this really awkward thing where he's like, you know what, it's really about me and my promotion. And so rather than trying to stay and bear fruit, if that's bigger and better, that's where I'm going. And you can probably play the story out about this young priest and kind of, you don't hear really anything else about him in scripture anywhere. It's kind of a moot point. But that story is so often our story. Flip to, flip to, (laughs) flip to Romans 12. Look at this. Uh, it kind of under, underlines this, or highlights the same idea. And it says, For by the grace of God, excuse me, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has given you. Okay, so you kind of hear some of the theme from that previous scripture in Corinthians and he's going, don't have this high estimation of who you are. Don't have this low estimation. He goes, But really, he goes, the way that you can see yourself accurately is it according to the measure of faith that God has given you. There's an absolute, a- accurate perception of who you are. He goes, but it's rooted in understanding how is it that God actually sees me. It's rooted in faith. He goes, if you want to get an accurate perception of who you are, look through the lenses of Jesus. Because there's something really, really cool about the lenses of Jesus. Okay? He's not impressed with this. He's not depressed by this. He gave the treasure. He gave the talent. He gave the time. He made the life. He wired every bit of it. And sometimes the things we consider insignificant are the things he most intends to promote. Sometimes comparison reveals in us whether or not what we're doing is really about his glory or about our game. Y'all know what I'm saying? Sometimes when you, when you feel that temptation... All of a sudden it comes out, well, if I could, or this would increase my life in some way, I'll move that way. But it's not always for his glory. And I think comparison is a two-edged sword. When, when you look at somebody and you go, wow, I'm not them. Like, wow, I mean, the, those people skills, that car, that house, whatever it is. You look at them and you go, all right, keep on That was close. But for the grace of God, there go I. And when you look from that perspective, it's this heightened thing about it's a wrong view. It's this thing of arrogance that begins to move in us, and we begin to become a a stench in the nostrils of God. The other side of that, I think, is equally as perverse. We look at somebody and we go, wow, geez, I wish I could do that like Joe. I wish I, could, I wish I could sing like Eric. I wish I, wish I had the skills of Sarah. I wish, I wish Dan Glass gets to run the world from back of the room. Like I wish, like, like whatever it is, we look up here and all of a sudden our view of us is I'm insignificant. I have nothing to offer. My five loaves, two fishes, my two pence, they don't matter. Why? Because I can't do what they can do. And I think it's equally as perverse because it likewise removes us from fulfilling what God is trying to do in us. So when he says the only right view is one through faith, the cool thing about comparison is there's only one place we're ever supposed to compare, right? There's one place, and it's the Lord Jesus. If we ever compare to each other, we look around, and we're in this world of comparison, what's happening is we are, we're submitting ourselves to an opinion that has no power to rectify it, okay? If I'm less than, what does that do in me? It produces greed, jealousy, and If I'm more than, there's arrogance, there's pride, insolence, looking down at but it's only when we compare to the lord jesus he goes yes you may be here but it's the spirit my spirit in you that enables you to be here it's the only comparison that we can make where he goes i'm going to actually give you the power the authority i'm going to give you what you need to meet the standard that i'm asking you to meet that's a good day friends That's a really good day. Like, yes, please compare me to Jesus Christ. Please compare me to Jesus Christ. Is there a long way? Well, maybe there's a long way to go, but guess what? The Spirit of God inside of me actually enables me to continue moving forward towards that person. Compare me to anybody else, I'm dead in the water because there's no life. Compare me to Jesus, wow, simultaneously, he puts inside of me his spirit to travel in that direction. You guys follow me? Okay. There's there's there's, There's this phrase that I love, and it's kind of what we titled this morning. It's from from the Bishop of Geneva, St. Francis of Soleil, back in the 15th century. And he was a a Catholic priest, and he was in the middle of the Reformation. He was actually fighting hard to reconcile tensions between the Protestants and the Catholics. And he had this phrase that he coined. He said, bloom where you are planted. How many of you guys have heard that before? Been around for, yeah, okay. That's a profound statement. He's in the middle of this context, and he goes, bloom where you are planted, And I asked Joe if I could take a minute this morning and read something to you guys. Um, And if you'll give me a little bit of liberty here, here. Uh, I want to read to you a short children's story. And here's why. Uh, I believe very firmly that thou shalt not goes to the head, but once upon a time goes straight to the heart. So I realize a month, or let's be honest, probably 45 minutes from now, you'll forget most of what I said. But this story will potentially seep into some deeper places of your heart, and it illustrates what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. So everybody kind of take a deep breath. All right, here we go. This is called Bloom Where You Were Planted. Once upon a time in the early spring, the master gardener planted a little plant. He dug a hole to one side of the old rose. Working quickly, he tucked the little fellow into the bed and covered his roots with a cozy brown blanket of earth. "'I've chosen this spot for you,' he said. And he gently touched one of the plant's leaves. "'This soil is just right. "'The sun is just right, and you'll get just the right amount of water. "'Be happy, little plant, and bloom where you are planted.' The little plant sighed contentedly, wiggling his roots, snuggling down in the just-right soil, lifting his leaves towards the comfort of the just-right sun, and giggled when sprayed by just the right amount of water. "'I am happy,' he thought to himself, and he was.' But after he'd settled into his new home, he found one thing that did not make him happy, one thing that made him very unhappy. Why are you always leaning over on top of me, he grumbled to the old rose. Am I leaning, she asked. I didn't think I was leaning. I thought I was reaching up, 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 and over the trellis. Well, you're not, accused the little plant. You're leaning, and I don't like it. A few days later, a strong wind blew through the garden. It shook the rose bush so hard that three of her leaves tore off and slapped against the little plant. Ouch, he yelled. You hit me. I am so sorry, the rose called out in the wind. The little plant just hunched down and pretended not to hear her. By the end of spring, the old rose bloomed and her tight pink buds swelled and opened into creamy pink-edged blossoms. Their heavenly fragrance floated on the breeze like soft kisses. Even the little plant forgot he was cranky with her. But then the petals began to slip from their flowers and drift through the air like falling feathers, and eight of them settled right on top of them. What do you think you're doing? He hollered at the rose. The gardener heard him and walked over. Is there a problem? The master gardener asked. Look at me, the little plant said angrily. I'm covered in pink junk. That's not junk, the master gardener said. Those are rose petals. Well, I don't like them, sputtered the little plant. And I'll tell you what else I don't like. I don't like her leaves slapping me. And I don't like the way she leans over me. And one day when I get tall enough, she's going to prick me with those terrible thorns. But you won't, the master gardener began to explain. Be happy, interrupted the little plant. I'll never be happy as long as I have to stay here. I want to move now. Move, the master gardener asked, surprised. Yes, move, said the plant. Well, where to? Well, over there by the sweet peas. But the soil is not just right for you over there, said the gardener. I don't care, shouted the little plant. If you don't move me, I'll never bloom. The gardener sighed deeply. He reached into his pouch and pulled out his hand shovel, and carefully he dug up the little plant and moved him exactly where he wanted to go. The plant didn't even say thank you. He just thought, I'll prove that I can bloom anywhere that I want to bloom. And for a little while, he was happy. But then he got hungry, and he wiggled his roots into the soil, and it felt funny. When he finally found something, he didn't like it. It was slimy. Yuck, he sputtered. This tastes terrible. It does not, said a gorgeous sweet pea. It's perfectly limey. Limey? Of course. It's just right for us. After a couple of weeks, the little plant's roots began to shrivel, and he became pale and sickly. Bugs chewed on his leaves, and he began to shiver and fuss and fret. The master gardener came by to check on him. How are you doing little plant?" he asked. "I'm sick," sniffled the little plant. "I want to go somewhere warm, move me to the c- c- cactus garden." "But little plant," began the master gardener. "I want to go to the cactus garden now!" he wailed. The gardener looked very concerned. "Are you sure?" he asked. "Yes." After he'd been moved, the plant turned its small leaves towards the warm sun. He stopped shivering. That's better, he sighed. And for a little while, he was happy. But each day, the sun grew hotter, and it wasn't long before the little plant began to dry out. He got thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. Water, he begged. A snappy little cactus with a red flower on top heard him. What? Water, it's so hot here. Oh, no, it's not hot here. It's perfect. We like it hot, and I look my best when it's hot. She tipped her red flower on top. "'But there's no water,' the little plant gasped. "'There's plenty of water.' "'Where?' "'Inside our leaves,' she told him. "'The gardener always knows just how much we need. "'If we got any more, we'd turn yellow and flop over. "'But I'm thirsty,' the little little plant pouted. "'He began to cry, but he was so dry he had no tears. "'Just a little wine was the best he could do. "'After a long time, he felt a cool shadow fall over him. "'He looked up and saw the master gardener. "'What's wrong, little plant?' I'm so hot and dry, the plant said. Move me to the lily pond, please. The gardener didn't say a thing. He simply lifted the plant from the hot sand and carried it over to the lily pond. He squished the dried out roots into the icky mud, and only the very tips of the tops of the plant's leaves showed above the cool water. For two whole days, he drank deeply. His roots and stems swelled, and his leaves plumped back up. For a little while, he was happy. But when he tried to stop drinking, he couldn't. "'Hey,' he called out to the lilies. "'This water, there's too much water in this pond. "'We need to get the gardener "'to get some of this water out of here.' "'Oh, no, we don't,' said a nearby lily "'as she floated on top of her pad. "'This pond is perfect for us. "'What are you doing here anyways? "'You don't belong in the pond.' "'I do,' the little plant said as he started to argue, "'but his roots slipped off and he fell into the water. "'He couldn't breathe. "'Slowly, slowly, slowly, "'some of his leaves floated back to the surface.' Help, he sputtered. Help, save me. A strong, gentle hand reached down and scooped him up. Little plant, the master gardener said kindly. Where do you want to go now? Great big tears fell from the plant's leaves. Put me, he said, wherever you want me to grow. The master gardener carried the soggy little plant around the lily pond, past the cactus garden, through the tulip bed, and back to the very spot where he had first put him. He tucked him into the dark soil. Be happy, little plant, and bloom where you're planted. The plant sank against the earth and fell fast asleep, and when the sun awoke him the next morning, he breathed deeply of the sweet rose fragrance. You smell really good, he said. Well, thank you, said the old rose, trying very hard not to lean. Uh, you don't have to pull away, the plant said. Your petals are soft. I, I even kind of like the way they feel. The old rose relaxed. Are you sure, she asked. Uh-huh, he said. He wiggled his roots into the rich black soil. He lifted his leaves to the just right comforting sun. He giggled when sprayed by just the right amount of water. Each day he grew healthier and healthier. And soon he noticed buds swelling on the end of his stems. One day, 17 of them burst open into bright yellow mum blossoms. Hey, look, he hollered. I am blooming. And you know, he never did get big enough to be pricked by the old roses' thorns. Anybody see yourself in there? You probably don't have to raise your hands. You're like, No, of course not boy, if I, if I roll out my story over and over and over again, I don't like something because I'm looking left and right. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes. He's like, listen, everything that we do is really motivated by this envy of our neighbor. He's like, it's meaningless. I'll tell you one more story and then we'll close. In Vietnam, there was a group of POWs that were taken. And... These men were obviously in a, in a horrific condition, and they had been kept for quite a number of months that actually turned into years, and eventually more than half the guys died and half made it out in a rescue years later. And they started asking these guys, like, listen, a whole bunch of you guys went in there. Everybody experienced the exact same conditions. Are there any patterns that you saw between those that actually survived and those that died in the middle of it? And right away they said, oh, yes. Yes i like, well, what was the difference? They said the group that died was persistently hanging on to the hope that they would be rescued. Now, to me, that sounds counterintuitive. He said, but the group that lived reached a place where they reconciled, this is my new reality. I'm going to embrace all of it, and I'm going to live to the best of my ability. No matter how bad these conditions are, I'm going to make the very best of the reality that is my place. Friends, I think that sometimes it's not just a matter of getting jealous and looking around by comparison. I think that sometimes God actually takes his servants and goes, I want to launch you into a dark and tentious place, and I want you to bloom and grow there because there is no light. I'm going to set you into a context that normally you would chafe at at the first thought, but I want you to grow your roots. I want you to be content, and I want you to bear fruit. I want you to bloom where you're planted. And if I can, as we close, I want to zoom all the way in and simply highlight this to you. The heroes that we love most from history are people that had the capacity to actually get out of the crisis and the tension, and instead, they go back into the middle of it, they root themselves, and they bear fruit, oftentimes all the way to their death. You think about Gandhi. You think about Elizabeth Elliott. You think about Bonhoeffer, all these amazing people that actually chose to go back into a context that they knew that God had planted and assigned them to and they bore fruit and we're still reading about them today drawing inspiration from their lives. Stories sound familiar? It's it's ours. There's another young hero who intentionally leaves outside of the crisis steps into the crisis of separation and goes i'm going to i'm going to root myself right in the middle of this context and i'm going to bear fruit of many lost sons and daughters that'll be restored to a father it's our story friends it's our story And sometimes it's not a matter of becoming some superpower and doing some crazy and wild and awesome so that everybody else sees. Sometimes it's a matter of going, Jesus, you called me, you planted me, and right here on this territory, I'm gonna root and I'm gonna bear fruit for your kingdom. Hell or high water. And may we, this is my prayer, may we always be the people. May we ever be the people. The enemy never gets the pleasure of hearing our praise and adoration and contentment and acknowledging of God's sovereignty in our lives. No matter how bad it gets, the praise never grows silent. I pray that he would be ever taunted by people that no matter how nasty the circumstance gets, we go, God, you called me to this sphere. You called me to this area. I don't care what's happening there or there or there or there. I'm going to root in relationships. I'm going to root in my vocation. I'm going to root in my church, and I'm going to bear fruit, and it's going to be all for your glory. It's not going to be about me. I don't need to be anywhere in the headlines. Just root me, and I promise you, I'll bloom wherever you plant me. So here's what I want to do. Just close your eyes real quick and I want to ask you a question. Similar as I, as, I, as, I, as I did last time that I had the chance to communicate with you. I just want to ask you a question and I want you to go through real quick and just ask the Lord, Father, where do you want me to bloom right now? It doesn't have to be everywhere, but where do you want me to bloom? You've put me into a place You've assigned a task. Maybe it's in my marriage. Maybe it's a relationship I just wish I could get out of. Maybe it's with my family and I've got some prodigal kids that have not come home. Maybe it's in a home or a neighborhood where I'd like to move up and move along the socioeconomic path. It's scary. It's dangerous. They're stuck up. It's whatever. Maybe he's actually rooted you in a place that he intends for you to bear fruit. Maybe it's a school district. Maybe it is a church. Maybe it's a work environment. But just ask him, Father, where is the place that you want me to bear fruit? Where do you want me to bloom? And Father, we just, together as a a body of people that love you, that say that we recognize that you've called us that you set us apart, that you've given us a place to bear fruit and to grow. God, we ask you, number one, would you give us the humility to not look left and right to compare to what anybody else has or what anybody else is doing? And Father, number two, would you give us the courage just to say, God, hell or high water, I will bear fruit by the grace of your spirit. I'm going to bear fruit in this relationship. I'm going to bear fruit in this church. I'm going to bear fruit in this family. I'm going to bear fruit in that job. And I don't care what happens. We don't choose the outcome of the context, but we do choose who we are in the midst of it. God, would you give me the courage to bear fruit right where I am? And if you ever move me, that's your business. I'm not asking Jesus. I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to bear fruit wherever you've called me. Father, we love you so much. We are so enthralled with who you are. We thank you, Lord, that that you chose to step into a context and to bear fruit that every single one of us are are vines of, that we are the fruit that you have borne. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk in the steps of our faithful leader in Jesus Christ and that we would give you permission to put us anywhere you want, take us anywhere you want to go, but get glory through our lives. We will bear fruit to your kingdom by the power of your spirit. God, would you do it for your good pleasure? We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.